Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome guys to another podcast with Rachel Paul from College Nutritionist. Now, Dr. Rachel Paul has a PhD and is a nationally recognized dietitian and nutritionist who helps college students and young professionals look and feel amazing by eating healthfully, cooking on their own, and making good food choices in social situations. Dr. Paul is known for her practical advice and easy-to-follow guidance, particularly on Instagram. She has over 300,000 followers. She's been featured in Business Insider, BuzzFeed, The Daily Mail, Cosmopolitan, and Martha Stewart Weddings. Make sure you guys go and give Rachel a follow at College Nutritionist on Instagram, as she has plenty of delicious recipes and practical advice. So let's jump right into today's podcast, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you can catch every single episode as soon as it's released. Welcome, Rachel, to the podcast. I am beyond grateful to have you on here today sharing all of your amazing knowledge with our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. (laughs) Now, you have been on Instagram for many years now, and you've been an account that I and I'm sure plenty of other listeners out there have been following for years now. And your content, it's incredible. You have this way of putting out these messages that are just so simple and they just, they look so lovely at the same time. I love seeing your posts pop up in my feed. Where does your inspiration come from behind all of these posts? Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of kind of stress, emotional eating issues in college myself. Um, and the college time is just a difficult time, right? You're learning how to cook for yourself for the first time. And you have all of these other responsibilities, right? You have to get yourself to class. You have to do well in school. You have internships. So it's really a lot all at once. Um, And so when I graduated and became a dietitian, I felt that this was really an age group that I could give back to. I had learned a lot becoming a dietitian and, and, and nutrition. And I thought that, oh, you know, there are so many resources for people, you know, with diabetes or for stroke prevention, these different things, but not for college students specifically. Um, so that's, that was the inspiration for starting the account for sure. And then just making all of the meals so simple and easy. My goal is for people to look at it and think, oh, I can do this. Healthy eating does not have to be difficult. Definitely. And I love one of my favorite things that you post your lettuce salads. And I think that that they trend so well for you. People absolutely love them. Like sometimes we just want a salad without lettuce as a base or without some greens in it. And I love how you do that in just such a simple way as well. Thank you. Yeah, I know that that was really a funny uh, I didn't expect that to do so well, but the reason I, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I started posting that was because myself, sometimes lettuce, if you're trying to eat it, you know, in a salad, it kind of gets all over your face and it becomes kind of <laughs> a nuisance. But <laughs> so if you just take that lettuce out, you still have, can have a lot of vegetables in the salad, but it's not such a messy experience. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent agree. <laughs> now you have spent a long time in university and a long time during studies. Um, you've actually got your PhD, which is amazing. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that, what you studied and what your PhD was in? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it was in nutrition and behavior change. So kind of how to develop nutrition education programs um, for the large, for on the large scale for large populations. So my dissertation was a, it was a large study. I had a small part of it, um, but it was looking at nutrition and physical activity education for breast cancer survivors. And we did in-class education and online education and saw which type of education did better. And actually, the results are being analyzed currently. So probably in the next year, we'll have the results of that. Oh, amazing. And just from what you went through with all of that research, do you have any sort of key insights in terms of online versus in person or you're not allowed to say just yet? Unfortunately, we just don't have the results yet. So I, there's, it's difficult to say. I will say yeah. it's, it, what is likely true is that in-person education is going to be more effective than online. However, if it's not that much less effective than um then in person, then because it's so cost effective, because online programming is so cost effective compared to in person, yes. if the difference is small, you know, likely we would recommend continuing with online education type of things. Definitely. Alrighty. Now your account is purely focused towards college, new grad students, which I love. What are some things in terms of when students are trying to be healthy and maybe they're trying to lose a little bit of weight? You know, you've lived with mom and dad for years and you've suddenly moved into college. You've got all of these you know, foods potentially available that weren't available in the house. There's lots of drinking, there's lots of partying. What are some things that you, I wouldn't like to say wrong, but I will say long for lack of a better word, sort of students doing wrong when it comes to trying to achieve or maintain a healthy lifestyle? Yeah, a few things. Absolutely. I'd say, first of all, a lot of people, myself included, my previous self included, have this kind of all or nothing mentality. So you're Mm -hmm. either being healthy or you're being unhealthy. And if you start being unhealthy, you can kind of spiral into a kind of a binging type of behavior. But that doesn't have to be what's true at all, right? You can definitely indulge a bit and then kind of cut yourself off in a healthy way, right? Because this is college. Mm -hmm. This is real life. It's not realistic to think that you're never going to drink or you're never going to eat pizza, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So a good thing to do is to make a plan ahead of time so that you're still participating in the occasion, but it's not going to go overboard. Um, so that, that those kind of be the main things I would say with that. Yeah. And I love planning ahead of time. And I think that really does catch so many people out. Even if you're not a student, you know, if you're busy, a busy, you know, someone who works in the city and you catch, you know, a bus and you're running out the door and you're not planning or you're a busy mom at home and really not planning does hold so many of us back, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And another good thing to do is to get an accountability buddy, especially in, in today today, uh, you know, everyone wants to be healthy. It is cool to be healthy. So getting an accountability partner, um, for when you're drinking or when you're eating out so that you can both indulge in a moderate way can be really helpful as well. Definitely healthy doesn't have to be that all or nothing approach, does it? Yeah, absolutely. And now with a lot of the students and the new grads that you work with, do you feel like a lot of them, I guess, succumb to the the social media pressure as such to do the sort of all or nothing types of diets like the, um, you know, it might be dairy free or, um, you know, keto or something like that. They really just like, they stick to the diets more so than all the trends, I guess, rather than looking what the evidence and the research sort of shows us. Yeah, I mean, you know, I do understand the um, the draw to a diet that is more extreme because sometimes it's easier in our minds to think, okay, I'm just going to eat X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to completely cut out 
A, B, and C, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's kind of easier in your mind to frame it that way, but that's not a long-term realistic solution, right? Because it's not realistic that you're never going to eat cake again, or you're never going to eat ice cream again, that type of thing. Um, so, and I, I, of course, completely understand that moderation is hard. It is a difficult, um, it is a difficult way of eating to learn if that's, if you haven't been conditioned that way. Um, but it's absolutely possible. And I think a lot of people think, Oh, that's not possible for me. I can't eat one square of chocolate and not eat the whole bar, but it is possible. And if you kind of change your mindset and thinking about it, um, it can absolutely be possible for you. Mm, because our thoughts really are so powerful, aren't they? Because if we tell ourselves we can't do something, we're really never going to be able to achieve it. Yep, absolutely. I know it's crazy how how much our minds are in charge, our thoughts are in charge type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you said, planning ahead or even just setting that intention. So my intention tonight is to go out with my friends. I'm going to have one wine or one beer. I'm going to have two slices of pizza and a big salad and setting that intention and sort of putting that out so that your brain sort of recognizes this is what's going to happen rather than just, I'm going to go out with my friends and try and eat healthy. It's sort of so broad that it doesn't really, you don't set yourself up for success at all, do you? Absolutely. And, and exactly like you said, looking at the menu ahead of time, picking out exactly what you're going to eat. Um, that can be really helpful too. And some researchers show if you're the first person to order, uh, you know, amongst your friends, other people will follow. So if you ordered pizza, other people are likely to order pizza, but if you order a salad, other people are likely to follow suit. That's so true. And that's not even just, um, I guess, relatable for students, because even me within my group of friends at the moment, the minute somebody's like, Oh, I'm going to get dessert. Everyone's kind of like, Oh yeah, dessert. <laughs> or it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to be really healthy today. The first person that says it, everyone else is like, oh yeah, me too, me too, me too. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you set the tone, right? You decide where your friends are going to go eat. You look at the menu ahead of time. You know, you be in charge. Another good thing to do is to plan social events that don't surround food, right? So much of what we do has a food component, but it doesn't have to, right? You can go to a workout class. You can walk around the park. Um, things like that. I love that. And one of my favorite ways, a friend and I always catch up, we call it moving coffee. So she'll text me. She's like, want to go for some moving coffee? So instead of going to the coffee shop, getting a coffee and just sitting down for an hour or two, we get our coffee takeaway and we walk around this beautiful park near her house. So we go for moving coffee together. And it's sort of that win-win, like we move our body, we get some vitamin D in, and then we feel wonderful afterwards as well. And we get to catch up and have our coffee. Yeah, I love that. That's a perfect thing to do. Now that brings me sort of into my next, um, I love all the tips that you've said so far, but I guess when it comes to students and new grads and even, you know, people who are working really hard and, um, and doing a lot of work at the moment, things for when you're super, super busy, or you might be going through, you might be trying to pump out a work assignment or, um, just some study tips for students in general. Um, I know myself when I was a student, I used to just lock myself in the room and I just eat packaged processed foods all day because I sort of think that they'd give me that energy or that pick me up. And I just, you know, I couldn't even deal with the thought of a bowl of salad or something like that. I was like, I need some potato chips. I need some chocolate. What are your tips for I guess students with studying, because a lot of the times we want to use those foods almost like a treat. Like I've studied so hard. I haven't gone out. It's Saturday. I didn't go out. I deserve this. So almost how do we get away from that mindset of using these processed foods as treats and seeing them for, I guess, what they really are? Absolutely. So really a reward should encourage the positive behavior, right? So if you um, have studied for a while and then you want to reward yourself for that time you put in, can you 
choose a reward instead that encourages that good studying habit. So whether it's like buying new pens or buying a new journal or a new scheduler or something like that, um, that can be a good way to reframe that reward type of thing. Same thing with exercise. Like let's say you're trying to exercise more. A good reward for exercising, let's say you set a goal to exercise three times a week. A good reward for that could be new exercise clothing or maybe new exercise equipment, something like that. Um, And then in terms of studying, a lot of times when we want to eat something, it's really out of like boredom or stress when we're studying, Mm -hmm. right? It's not out of actual hunger. And I would say if you're hungry, you should absolutely eat. But if you're not hungry, if you can try to distract yourself another way by not eating, that really is the best thing. We don't want to kind of associate food with that. But and I completely understand this as well. Sometimes we just need that like oral fixation, right? So something like a nice seltzer, like a flavored seltzer or sparkling water, some decaf tea, some decaf coffee, that's still, you're still getting that kind of oral fixation, um, but you're not eating out of something other than hunger. Mm, and I love how you brought in the fact that a lot of us eat out of boredom or stress. And again, not always just applicable for students. You think when you leave college or you leave university, then that will go away. But I find that once I started working from home, I used to work in the hospital system as a clinical dietitian. And I had this routine instruction. You know, 10.30, I used to meet my friend at a coffee shop. At one to you know one o'clock, we always went to have lunch together. Afternoon tea was always around 3.30. The minute that I started working from home, I kind of lost that routine and structure. So do you feel like that's really important as well? to have, I guess, particular routines or a little bit of structure around your eating. If you are somebody who, you know, say you're going to study for for full 10 hours today, how important do you think that routine is around eating or having a little bit of a plan when it comes to, you know, a full day of study? Do you feel like that's important as well? I absolutely think that's important. So making sure ahead of time that you have your times of eating, and it can be a nice break to look forward to too, right? So often I see people have breakfast, lunch, an afternoon snack, and then dinner. Because if you have, if you kind of have your snacks in a grazing period, it doesn't become enjoyable anymore anyway, right? The food loses its flavor. Um, a really good quote is hunger is the best sauce, right? It's, it's important to be eating when you're actually hungry. It feels good when you're eating when you're hungry. But if you're eating and you know you're not hungry, it doesn't really feel that good, right? Maybe it tastes good in the moment, but it just doesn't feel good afterwards. Definitely. And I think a lot of the questions that I get from people through my DMs and through my messages are around people not being able to differentiate if they're truly hungry or not. So that's why I sort of love that structure. If you're somebody that's used to eating, you know, morning tea at 10 o'clock and lunch at one o'clock, try and sort of hold that structure within your study breaker, within your college or uni life as well, because that's sort of intuitively how your body has taught you to sort of recognize your hunger fullness mechanisms over time as well. So any other tips for people who, who may really struggle while they're studying to recognize if they're truly hungry or they just kind of think that they're constantly hungry all day long? Yeah. So it it is good to have a good three to four hours in between your meals. And if you have this amount of time when you're not eating, it allows your body to get hungry and being hungry is a good thing. We should cycle Mm -hmm. through being full and then feeling of nothingness and then feeling hungry again. That is a normal, Mm -hmm. healthy cycle of feelings to have. And I think a lot of people, my previous self included, were afraid to be hungry because it, it kind of felt like, Oh, I'll never be able to eat again, but that's not true. It's it's a very healthy, normal bodily reaction to feel hungry and then full and then hungry again and to have that cycle. 
Oh, I love that. I love how you just completely normalized hunger because particularly with social media, it's almost like it's like, oh, bad you, you're hungry all of the time. I remember I used to say to people, I'm quite tall, I'm six foot tall and I always used to be taller and heavier than the majority of my friends and they used to always say things to me that they didn't realize were sort of having a negative impact, but they'd always say, you're always hungry, you're always eating. And I think that just intuitively, I used to think I need to eat more because I'm, I'm bigger or I'm taller or something, but I just, I found myself always saying to myself, I'm always hungry. I'm always hungry, but I never really stepped back to sort of think, is this true hunger? Or am I just scared to let myself get hungry? Because I've come from that point of restriction in my past where I would eat everything and then not eat anything because I'd eaten too much at the previous meal. So I just had never really allowed myself to feel hunger and be okay with that and know that that is an okay um, feeling to have without those feelings of guilt or you know, that lack of control around that as well. So I love how you just normalized hunger there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's okay to be a little bit hungry. Of course you don't want to be starving. Right. And mm-hmm. if you allow yourself to have this cycle of being full and then being hungry and then being full again, you'll be able to then adjust your meals to be either a little bigger or a little smaller so that they're the right size for you. Like exactly what you just said, people are different, right? People are different shapes, different sizes, have different metabolism. So they need different amounts of food. And if you have that amount of time and then you're allowed to kind of adjust your meals accordingly, um, you'll find what works for you. Definitely. I love that. Now, in terms of meal prepping, I know that you're a fan of it. I'm a huge fan of it. For students and you guys, I know we don't have a lot of time and we particularly don't have a lot of money. Um, Do you have any sort of healthy hacks for people in terms of meal prep and, and time and saving a little bit of spare cash? Yeah, a few things. The first thing is absolutely to make a plan, right? Kind of that's your that's going to be your tool for success number 1. For Monday through Wednesday, I have a plan for Monday through Wednesday and then a different plan for Thursday and Friday and then a different plan for the weekend. Um, but for Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, Monday through Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, that allows you to have some flexibility and some different tastes and different foods throughout the week. So you don't get really bored eating the same thing Monday through Friday. And then another good thing to do, um, is to of course search your fridge, your freezer and your pantry before you go grocery shopping. Cause it's no good to buy something that you already mm-hmm. have. Right. And you likely already have a lot of good foods that you can eat. And then the third thing is to make sure that you are getting foods that are going to be not so perishable so that you can, in the moment, choose what you want to eat. If you say you meal prep, but you don't want to eat what you meal prepped, right? So in the freezer, getting some good frozen non-starchy vegetables, getting some good frozen proteins in the fridge, eggs and cheese last a really long time. And then in the pantry, getting some good nuts, seeds, nut butters jerky, those types of things, those last for a long time. I love that. And you touched on such an important point that even though you meal prep it doesn't mean that you have to eat it. And I think that again, we sort of lose touch of that intuitive eating and what our body really feels like at the time. Like I might've prepped um, some sort of salad for my lunch, but I really just feel like something warm and comforting because when I'm a little bit stressed or anxious or I'm super busy, I like warmer type of foods. And if I prepped a salad, but I don't have anything warm, that will probably lead me to going out and down to the local cafe and buying something that particularly might not be as healthy. Whereas if I had sort of two separate options, available in my fridge and pantry, that would be, that would be a wonderful option as well. So I love, I love how you said that as well. 
Exactly. And you can, I think people also don't realize that you can freeze a lot of foods mm. too. So, I mean, maybe not a salad, but if you had prepped something and don't want to eat it, a lot of foods you can just stick in the freezer. So you're not wasting that food. I think people are also very afraid or feel very guilty with throwing food out, but you can freeze a lot of things and you can just have it another time. Definitely. And I'm like you, where I love to buy um, just like bags of salads and that sort of thing. And sometimes I'll just feel like hot food all week long. And then I'll get to sort of Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, Oh my salad's looking a bit manky. And I used to always have this, I guess like preconceived idea in my head that I couldn't eat a salad for morning tea or my salad's going to go up, but I've already prepped my lunch. So I may as well throw it out. And I'd find myself wasting food, but these days I'm a lot more sensible, I guess. And I'll, I'll eat a bit of salad for afternoon tea and I'll put like half a can of tuna on it, or I'll just eat it plain. And then I'll have like a banana afterwards, or I'll have a couple of squares of chocolate afterwards, because I think we just condition ourselves over time to think that, you know, salad is a main meal. It's not, it doesn't go as a snack choice or something like that. So I think even having a very open mind when it comes to your eating and learning to listen to, I guess, just what your body sort of feels at the time as well is super important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yep. So sometimes I'll have a salad for breakfast, right? And that's just (laughs) what I'm feeling like. It looks good in my fridge. Who cares? right? That's, that's what looked good at the time. And that's all that matters. Exactly. Or I'll have oatmeal at like nine o'clock at night. Cause I'm like, I literally just feel like a bowl of porridge. I couldn't even, I couldn't even look at whatever dinner that I've meal prepped that night. I just feel like a bowl of porridge with some blueberries and some peanut butter. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) Now you do a lot of, on your stories every Sunday, you do your um, Trader Joe's sort of shopping. You show people different products and that sort of thing. I love it when you do that because Americans have amazing products, particularly compared to Australia. I think so. I'm very jealous, but what are some, I guess, healthy hacks or supermarket tips that you can give people who may be um, shopping on a budget? Absolutely. So a good thing to do is to get frozen vegetables and frozen protein so that you always have them in the fridge. So frozen spinach, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, all those good types of things. And then in terms of proteins, you could get burger patties, shrimp. I mean, also the burger patty options are limitless, which is great. So you can have all different types. Um, And then in the fridge, you do want to get foods that last for a long time. So eggs, cheese, those things, they just last for weeks, which is great. And in the pantry, you want to get certain foods too that last for a long time. So jerky, nuts, nut butter packets, those types of things. Um, And then like we've said, you know, making a plan ahead of time is just so important, right? Because then you see what you have in your fridge, you see what you have in your freezer and your pantry, you're not double buying anything, especially something that is perishable, that's going to go bad. That's no good. Um, And if you have these non-perishable options, you can really make the choice in the moment of what you want to eat, right? So let's say you have a bunch of good options in your fridge. And if you have extra time in the morning, you don't have to meal prep for three days in advance or two days in advance, you can select the foods that look good to you um, in the moment. And I think that that is really the ultimate goal is for not to be following maybe a very specific plan every single day, but being able to make healthy choices in the moment that feel really good in your body. Mm, Definitely. I love that. Now, bringing you back to the supermarket, I think a lot of people, um, I think the majority of people are very time poor. And so we don't spend probably as much time as what we'd like reading and looking at the nutrition labels and that sort of thing. But I think it really is so important, particularly in the beginning or the early stages of your health journey, just to understand nutrition labels a little bit more. Do you have any 
tips for our listeners in terms of how to choose like a great product? Like you might be looking at all the types of, um, you know, tin tuna and different types of muesli bars and that sort of thing. Which products are the ones that you particularly gravitate towards? Do you look at the price more so or do you recommend to your clients to look more at the nutrition label first or a combination? Yeah, I would say the number one thing is to look at the ingredients. And if you can identify all of the ingredients, then that's likely a better product. If there are some ingredients listed there that you have no idea what that is, that's like, you know, clearly some kind of scientific, some kind of weird ingredient, you know, of course, a little bit of it is fine. But if that's the majority of what's on the the nutrition facts label on the ingredients list, I'd say that's a good one to skip. And then the the number two thing I would look at is added sugar. So we do want to keep that relatively low, right? Of course, a little bit is fine. But if you're kind of comparing different products and one has less added sugar and maybe better quality ingredients, you can identify those ingredients. I would say that that would be the better one to choose. Great. And just a little tip for our listeners at home as well. As Rachel said, when you're looking at the nutrition ingredient panel, the nutrition, the ingredients that are listed, um, I guess the most in that product come first. So if something said, you know, um, rolled oats, sugar, and, um, chia seeds and the product had the majority of the rolled oats, the rolled oats would be listed as the first ingredient. So as Rachel said, added sugars is something that's really important and sugar is sugar despite any type of sugar. So honey is sugar, maple syrup is sugar, um, rice malt vinegar is sugar, um, you know, glucose is still sugar. So if sugar is listed in those sort of, I guess, ingredients one, two, and three, you can probably guarantee that that's, it's got quite a lot of added sugars in that product. So in the first couple of ingredients in that ingredient list, we really want them to be whole foods. So foods that are, um, you know, really great and nourishing for our body rather than additives or um, added sugars or added fats. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when we're traveling or we say if we're lucky enough to go on holidays, what is your, I guess, thoughts or feelings around um, still being able to maintain a healthy lifestyle whilst on holidays? A lot of people will, I guess, for lack of a better word, go on a diet and be super healthy and drop a bit of weight. And then that leads to sort of them blowing out a bit on holidays and they come back and they're sort of, you know, they might lose, say, 10 pounds before their holiday or a couple of kilos before their holiday and then re-put that on during their holiday and they come back and they're in sort of the same the same place. What are your thoughts and feelings around that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I would do is think about exactly what you are looking forward to eating on your trip. So if there's a pizza place that you really like or there's a certain ice cream that you want to try, great. Identify those things and then make a plan for them. So my rules of thumb are one starchy food per day. It's kind of the easiest way I have found to maintain my weight and a lot of other people feel the same way as well. Um, And so let's say, you know, there's this pizza place I really wanted to try. Great. That would be my starchy food for the day. And then the rest of my foods, I would just not choose a starch at those meals. Um, same thing with dessert, with alcohol, they just plan for it ahead of time. And I do think that tracking what you're eating, it's not for everyone, but for a lot of people, it can be a really useful, just objective tool, right? Because you see, oh, I ate that slice of pizza and it actually is not a big deal, right? It just makes it very objective. Um, you can see that, oh, you know, that this is only a certain number of calories and I'm full and I'm satisfied and I'm just going to move on with my day. 
type of thing. Mm. Versus like, I just had that one pizza and it wasn't, you know, a slice of pizza. It wasn't actually that bad compared to, I'm just going to pretend this doesn't happen. I'm going to eat the entire eight slices of pizza, feel crappy afterwards, and then just sort of try and do my best to get back on track. So it does bring about a little bit of awareness, I guess, in terms of what you're eating. And on holidays, I love to actually, um, you know, choose cafes and restaurants that have the nutrition analysis sort of on their menus as well. Not to sort of obsess about it or, you know, stick to a certain number of calories, just again, to have that awareness because you might go out to a restaurant and order a beautiful Greek salad, but you don't know what they're, they're sort of putting in their ingredients. And a lot of restaurants and cafes add extra sugar, extra salt, extra fat, all of those extra things to make their food taste amazing to keep us coming back. So I really do think that knowledge, it is power, isn't it? Particularly when you're on holidays or you're eating out. Absolutely. And another good tip for when you're traveling, and of course, this doesn't apply to every occasion, but this this likely would apply to a lot of occasions is to choose more plain food versus something with a lot of like sauces and dressings because i found that the the sauces and dressings those are the ones where we really like you were saying we have no idea what's in those right they could add like half a cup of sugar to that or half a cup of salt or whatever it is um but if it's maybe not a special meal, um, you know, a meal you're really looking forward to is just, you know, your regular breakfast or you're grabbing some lunch. If you can stick with more plain foods, that's going to, um, help your body just feel really good while you're traveling and not put on that, all that, but back on all of that extra weight. Definitely. Now that sort of brings me nicely into our next segment, which is really about that sort of social and weekend eating. Cause a lot of people, again, as we mentioned at the start, very black or white, very all or nothing, you know, I'm going to super healthy, super clean Monday to Friday, they get to Friday and there's no willpower left. Their friends like, let's go out for pizza and beers. And then they're done. And then they're going to start again on Monday. So tips for people who find themselves in this very similar sort of situation where they're just a little bit too strict during the week and then they find that they don't really have any control around food or I guess on the other hand their environment or that their social peers might influence their decisions a lot so a lot of peer pressure goes on with you know college and students as well doesn't it if, if somebody's drinking they sort of that peer pressure to conform to do what everybody else is doing as well yeah absolutely so there's two things the first thing Of course, it's not for everyone, but tracking what you're eating can be really helpful here, right? Because let's say you weren't planning to go to pizza. If you were following my one starch per day, you know, you already had your starch per day, but everyone's going to pizza and there's no other options to eat at this pizza place. And you have your pizza and you track it and it's not a big deal, right? Even if you're 200 calories over your budget or 500 calories over your budget, putting that into perspective, making it objective can really help with not with saying, you know, oh, I'm just going to blow it. You know, I'm just going to eat the, you know, 10 slices of pizza or whatever it is. It just, it makes it very objective and realistic and you can see that it's not a big deal. And then with alcohol, a good thing to do is to alternate with seltzer or water, right? So having seltzer water and then an alcoholic drink and then seltzer water and then an alcoholic drink. It slows you down. It keeps you hydrated, helps you not be hungover the next day those types of things. And you can also get, you know, a little wedge of lime or lemon in your seltzer so that it looks like alcohol. So that if you're worried about, um, any comments from friends, you can, you can pretend that it, that it's alcohol in there as well. Um, but a lot of people do want to be healthy, right? And I think that's such a positive, um, aspect of the time we're in is that it's really cool to be healthy, right? So if you can kind of set the trend 
um, to maybe not drink as much or to drink more in moderation, uh, I think you'd probably be surprised that people will follow. And then one last thing is that people really do love to talk about themselves. So if anyone is kind of giving you a hard time about what you're eating or what you're drinking, just, you know, put it back on them, ask them a question about themselves. People love to talk about themselves, ask them about their life, about, you know, what boys are dating that people, you know, just love it. And and they'll forget what they were pestering you about. I love that. Definitely. People do love to talk about themselves and it's quite of an easy escape out, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I always say to my clients, I love the thing of just setting that intention. So the minute that you get there, the minute that you arrive at dinner or you get to that party, if you set that intention and you let everybody know from the outset, like, you know, thanks Jenna so much for inviting me to your party, just to let you know, I'm only having two drinks tonight. Um, so just, I thought I'd let you know from the outside, I'm really working hard on trying to, um, you know, have a healthier lifestyle. And I find that not drinking too much really helps with my studies and my grades as well. And then that person, they really have to be a bit of an arsehole to continuously keep pressuring you. If you've set that intention and you've let that person know, and even the same for dinner, like you rock up to dinner, you're like, hi, Sally, so great to see you. I can't wait to have pizza tonight. Just to let you know, I'm going to order a salad with my pizza. You're free to do whatever you want. But I just, I wanted to let you know that I'm working really hard on my health health journey. And 99% of the time, that person is going to be so supportive and kind of want to do that with you. Because as you said, we want to model the behavior of the peers or the people that we're with, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that. And absolutely. Your friends should be supportive, right? And if they're not, you know, maybe they're not the best friends, right? Definitely. So I think that there's some wonderful, really golden nuggets for people who really do struggle with that peer pressure. It's really just setting that intention from the beginning. And then, as you said, we call it soda water in Australia. So you can just order a a soda water, which is like a bubbly carbonated water and put some lemon or lime slices in it. And people think that it's like a, a gin and tonic or a vodka or soda. And people don't really, you know, they're not really in the any wiser. And once they're sort of three or four drinks deep, they kind of won't know (laughs) too much, too much either. So you're sort of safe to keep doing and you're going to wake up and feel incredible the next day and not be hungover like everybody else. Exactly. And another thing to do if you, if you're not maybe at a bar, if you're at a house party type of thing, if you're pouring your drinks, if you can pour like half drinks or weak drinks instead of a full drink, and if you're alternating with soda water or seltzer with your alcohol, um, that can extend the amount of time that you're still drinking alcohol and you still can feel like you're participating in the party, um, but you're just drinking less, a smaller amount at each time. Yeah. Wonderful. Absolutely love it. Now I'm um, talking about, I guess, again, health and healthy lifestyles, women in particular, we get really hung up on the scale. So we start a healthy lifestyle and we we might lose a little bit of weight and then we just continuously expect that scale to just keep dropping time and time and time again every single week. And we sort of use that as our only measure of progress. I'm not a huge fan of the scale because people do get so obsessed about it. And the minute that that scale doesn't go down or, you know, God forbid it goes up a little bit, it tends to just derail people completely. So I guess I wanted to know what your thoughts and feelings were around using the scale to track progress? Are you a fan of it? Do you recommend other things to your clients? Yeah. I mean, I think it is a nice objective measure of success. A lot of times we maybe look in the mirror and think, oh, I look fat today, but that's in your mind. 
right? And so it, it is nice to have some kind of objective measures of success. And I think the scale can be an objective measure. If I am, if someone says, oh, I would like to purchase a scale, what kind of scale do you recommend? I would recommend one that includes a body fat measure as well, because then you have multiple measures of success, right? Because honestly, the number on the scale means very little. At the end of the day, what matters is your happiness, right? That's, that's all that matters. So having multiple measures of success is very helpful as well. Um, and then there are different measures of, of happiness exist, of course, beyond the scale, right? First of all, just how you're feeling is the most important thing. Um, but how your clothes are fitting, uh, you can use a certain, uh, item of clothing. So a pair of jeans or a skirt and go based on those measures as well. Definitely. And I love to also um, journal as well. So when people start a healthy lifestyle, you know, we get so obsessed about weight and that's sort of the only measure, only measure that we focus on. But a lot of people say to me, my skin's better, my digestion's better. I just feel better. And they kind of, they can't really describe it, but they're like, I just feel better overall from eating, you know, more fruits and more vegetables. And I always say to them, journal that because that's so powerful. And when you realize how much better you feel when you're eating really good, nutritious, wholesome foods compared to when you've come off like a bit of a weekend bender, people feel pretty crappy, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So re-looking back at that journal and rereading how these amazing foods make you feel and the fact that you still like them as well. A lot of people sort of think that they're these processed foods are the only foods that they love and they forget that, you know, some grilled fish and some potato wedges with some salsa and salad, that can taste amazing as well. I mean, depending on the person. So it's really important to eat Um, foods that you love as well and remembering that these foods make you feel full of energy and vibrant and your digestion's better and remembering all those markers of health as well which I think that we sort of forget about a little bit as well don't we absolutely yeah and and I think that that is the benefit of following a meal plan in the beginning I would say maybe not forever but following a meal plan in the beginning is because you do see oh my digestion is better my skin is better oh I actually like these foods these foods give me a lot of energy they keep me full Um, and then being able to eat the foods that you are craving in the moment which will be a combination of these more um, nutritious foods versus the more processed foods it'll be a better balance then um, if you hadn't started with a meal plan initially. Mm. And any sort of, I guess, tips for our listeners today in terms of adaptions to meal plans? I mean, you might be in university or college and you're, you know, you're there in a sponsored sporting scholarship. So your energy requirements are far above somebody else's, you know, you're doing sport or exercise one, two, three times a day compared to somebody who um, sits down in class pretty much every day, doesn't really do any exercise. So do you have any tips for our listeners in terms of trying to adapt some of those meal plans based on their own, I guess, like certain situation or, or body type? or beginning or starting point? I think the best thing for that would be to, and again, tracking is not forever, but if you track what you're eating for a little bit, you can see what foods are going to keep you full for the longest period of time and maybe where you um, ate too much of a quantity of food and you felt bloated or um, down, that type of thing. Uh, so I think that tracking what you're eating in that case can be helpful to get just an objective measure of success about what's going on. 
Mm, love it. Now, your number one tip, say if somebody has just moved out of home, they've just started college, they've just started university, they're not used to making or preparing foods themselves, you know, their roommate might have lollies and chocolates all around their room. What would be your number one tip for somebody who's just beginning or just starting out this new healthy lifestyle? You know, they've identified that they want to try and be a little bit healthier. What is sort of one or two key areas that you would recommend for them to focus on? An easy thing to do is to have at least two cups of vegetables at lunch and at dinner. Uh, a lot of people don't aren't eating a, a large quantity of vegetables, and two cups of vegetables may seem like a lot, but if you put it on the plate, it's actually not not that huge amount. Um, and, the, and vegetables are very easy to find, you know, in a cafeteria type of thing. So that would be the first thing I would say to do. And then the second thing I would say to do is to be aware of this kind of starchy carbohydrates that are in your diet. So a lot of times in our meals, we have three or four different starches in each meal, and so maybe can we stick with one or two at each meal and, and see if, if you even miss it? A lot of people, when they take out a lot of those extra starches, they realize they didn't even, they don't even miss them. And for our listeners at home, um, I'm assuming when you say those those vegetable-based starches, we're talking about potato, sweet potato, um, the starchy types like taro, um, pumpkin, peas, and corn. Do you consider them to be starches as well? Yeah. And then also grains. So bread, rice, pasta, quinoa. So I would count all of those as starches. So if we can just stick with one or two at each meal, you're likely going to feel much more energetic. You're going to have better digestion. um, And it's very then easy, much easier to manage your weight. Hmm. And for any sort of students um, listening at home or anybody in particular wanting to embark on a healthy lifestyle, I'm a very visual person. And I think that's why, Rachel, I love your content on Instagram because it's so visually appealing. And when I talk to my clients about meals, I sort of say a starch that's about a fist size. So if you put your hand into a fist, you want your starch to be about that size. Your protein should be about your palm size and then have two large um, cups or handfuls of vegetables or salad with your meal. And that's a really simple visual guide to sort of building a meal as well, isn't it? Because I think a lot of the times we do, we eat far too many of the carbohydrate, not enough of the the protein, particularly for females, particularly around lunch, and then also not enough of the salads and vegetables as well. That's probably the big one there, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And those are great visuals as well. So, you know, two fists fulls of vegetables at lunch and at dinner, it's an easy thing to do. Love it. All right. Now you've got some incredible offers um, on your website as well. Did you want to tell our listeners a little bit about them? Yes, absolutely. So I have a free meal plan that you can download and try. It's at collegenutritionist.com slash free dash meal dash plan. And then I do have a meal plan membership, which is meal plans, meal plans, plural dot collegenutritionist.com. Wonderful. So go and head um, over to Rachel's website and check them out, guys. And on Instagram, just for our listeners, if they're not following you, they 1000% need to be. Where are you at on Instagram? I'm just at college nutritionist. So it's one word, college, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, and then nutritionist. And make sure you go and stalk Rachel's stories on a, is it Sunday that you particularly do your your shopping center trips to Trader Joe's? Yep, typically on Sundays. (laughs) Absolutely love them. Make sure you guys go check out her stories on the weekend as well. She gives away amazing golden nuggets in terms of which products are really good and her her hacks for meal prep and that sort of thing. So thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. I hope the listeners, um, I'm sure I know that they enjoyed this so much and they would have gotten so, so many tips out of it so make sure you guys jump on over and give Rachel a follow and um, go say hey go comment in some of her pictures and go and look at some of those amazing lettuceless salads that she's got going on in her feed thank you thank you it's been such a pleasure 
I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast and ensure that you go and follow Rachel on Instagram at college nutritionist. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on my weekly podcasts. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would absolutely love if you took just a minute out of your busy day to leave me a positive rating or review. It would mean the world to me. I'll see you guys in the next episode.